Welcome to the Innate Flow Podcast. My name is Nate Baumgartner and you are tuning in to a vibration in the time-space continuum. Communicating the wisdom, reflection, and awareness direct from the mouths of authentic truth seekers and spiritual warriors. Drop in with us as we uncover how we as individuals can begin healing our collective consciousness in a holistic and intuitive way. Sit back, quiet the mind, and open the heart as we integrate the here and now. I have people in my life who are incredibly inspirational to me due to the fact that they are grounded, heart-centered members of my community, while at the same time are achieving excellence in the areas of life which I aspire to excel. And Ryan Sprague is one such person for me. Ryan is the co-owner and founder of Highly Optimized, which is a company dedicated to helping its clients transform and become conscious leaders the world is patiently waiting for. He is also the host of the Highly Optimized podcast and this one time on psychedelics. And back in July of 2021, I drove down from Denver to Austin to take the Integrated Movement Science Level 1 at Alice Trubchinsky's facility. And over that 15-hour drive, I probably spent about eight hours listening to the Highly Optimized podcast and would like to credit as a massive inspiration for me in starting this podcast. So Ryan is also the co-creator of the Connect with Cannabis program, and his mission in life is helping his fellow brothers and sisters become empowered in their experience of being alive through one-on-one men's coaching, plant medicine integration coaching, and retreat experiences. Ryan, it is a true honor to welcome you to the show today. Thank you so much, Nate. It's amazing. Thank you so much for the introduction, man. So cool, man, because, you know, when I started having optimized, I had no clue what I was doing. I was just following my heart. And, you know, to hear that it inspired you to get in your own podcasting journey is so powerful, man, because, you know, podcasting is one of my favorite things. And, you know, and, and I've been inspired through so many people, Paul Check, Aubrey Marcus, all these amazing individuals that we both look up to, you know, in starting my own podcast. And so to know that I'm paying that forward is amazing, man. And I love what you're doing with your podcast. I love what you're doing with everything you're doing with uh, the microdosing program, everything. It's so cool to see. And it's so necessary and needed in the world right now because, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot with regards to cannabis and psychedelics is that, you know, with the uh, very quick rise in popularity that we're seeing, there's a lot of lack of guidance, right, in these realms. And so we're having this increase and explosion in popularity, but very little guidance. And so when that happens, there can be a lot of challenges that present themselves. And if we want this psychedelic revolution to be different than the one from the 60s and 70s, then we're going to need more guidance. We're going to need more, you know, awareness. We're going to need more frameworks in which to practice these medicines. And so it's amazing what you're doing, man. And it's super inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. Fully received. And I think that within our community of the, you know, story work in lifted training camp for the soul, strong coach, this environment has a unique gift to offer to the psychedelic community. And that, that is something that I'm so happy to see in what you are bringing to cannabis and to people creating intention around this um, very commonly used substance. I would love to hear about your journey mm. in your relationship with cannabis and touching on the high points of how that has evolved. Yeah. And it's like a part in the pump moment, right? The high moments, you know, <laughs> it's so funny, yeah. dude. You know, when I got into cannabis, um, 
you know, and really started coaching it. So many of these puns started coming out, you know, high ideas, you know, the high points, you know, uh, highly optimized, all of these things. And, you know, so when I first got into cannabis and became exposed to it, you know, I was, I was young, I was around 14 and I was seeing it happen. I uh, seen people use it. And I just kept saying, no, I was like the people that I was watching, you know, use it. We're not doing so in very healthy environments and in a very healthy, conducive manner in which to actually have it, you know, do something positive for their lives. And so I just kept saying no. But when I was 16, I started experiencing a lot of anxiety and I tried every pharmaceutical under the sun. And every time one got promised that it would work and it didn't work, I, you know, I, I just found myself thinking like, is this the way life's going to be forever? You know, and really had a dark night of the soul at a very young age about that. And, you know, at the same time, I was, I had this feeling that, you know, there was something there for me, right? This anxiety was doing something for me. But, you know, at that age, of course, I wasn't into any inner work. I wasn't aware of spirituality. So, you know, I had this notion, but I had no evidence to back it up. And so at that point, you know, I, I was hanging with some, you know, some new friends. And one of these guys was like, well, hey, you know, uh, I seem to be experiencing something similar to you with this anxiety that you're saying you're having. And I use cannabis and it happens to help that. And I was like, cannabis, like the thing that I saw people just partying with, you know, the last three years. And he was like, yeah, you know, you can actually use it in many different ways. And so I tried it out because I had nothing left to lose. I was like, well, you know what, you know, uh, what's the worst that could happen, right? Which is the worst question to ask. But I asked that question and luckily, you know, it ended up uh, helping me a lot. And, you know, how I would frame it now is that it helped me connect deeper to myself. And it helped me start feeling this reassurance that, again, with my language today, I would say there was a higher power. You know, it didn't matter what I called it, but it was a belief system that everything was happening for me, that, you know, this was all part of my, you know, my dharma, my path, my mission, et cetera. And so, you know, I started interacting with cannabis a little bit more and it was, you know, it was really helping my anxiety, but I found that it was really easy to fall into patterns of dependence with it. And, and, you know, I didn't want to, you know, be dependent on something, even if it was, you know, something as harmless as cannabis, which there are things that can harm you with cannabis, but in terms of like overdosing or, you know, the things that can come along with pharmaceuticals, there was none of those worries. And so, you know, but at the same time, I was like, well, I don't want to always have to rely on like, okay, cool. I'm going to hang out. Now I have to smoke weed to get into that, you know, frame of mind where I'm not anxious. So there was still this quest of figuring out like, what is this? And so when I was 18, I had my mortality crisis, as a lot of people talk about, where I woke up one morning and I went to go clean my car. And after I was cleaning my car, I went to the bathroom, peed blood. And I was like, uh, you know, had no idea of what was going on. All I knew was that it was extremely terrifying. I had no idea what was happening. And, uh, you know, it's funny because sometimes when I've told the story, I've forgotten to tell people what the actual problem was. And they're like, what happened? So I'll, I'll say that first so I don't forget. But it ended up being just a benign cyst that was on my kidney that had broken open and put blood into my bladder. But, you know, I started actually asking myself after that event happened, you know, why this was all happening. You know, and at that point, I was pretty unhealthy. You know, I was eating Doritos, you know, drinking soda, that kind of stuff, typical 18 year old stuff. And but on the way to the hospital, my father asked me if I was doing any drugs. And, you know, he's like, I just got to know you're doing drugs. And I was like, no, but I'm interacting with a lot of cannabis. And he had a sigh of relief. And I noticed that. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Because my father had always kind of been like, you know, don't smoke weed, don't drink, you know, I know you're probably gonna, but I got to tell you not to. And so he was never like super vehemently against it. But he definitely wasn't a supporter of it either. And so when I saw him have the sigh of relief, you know, I kind of like my subconscious picked it up I'm like, huh, interesting. Like he doesn't even think it's that bad that I'm doing this. And so, cause at that point I was kind of in the closet about it. Right. I wasn't really telling my parents what I was doing, but I knew it was helping. And so at this point I'm in school for psychology 
I had a job. And so, you know, my dad, you know, when he came to the hospital with me, I showed him a lot of the research that I was looking into with regards to cannabis. And I was trying to tell him like, Hey, I'm not just a stone or smoking weed here. Like I've actually looked into this. It's helping with my anxiety. That's how I got turned on to this in the, in the get-go or from the get-go. And so, you know, to his credit, he didn't have any cognitive dissonance over it. He saw what I was looking at he read the studies and was like, wow, I guess we didn't know what we didn't know in the seventies, you know? And so he was like, Hey, if this is helping you, I know what you went through with all the pharmaceuticals. You know, I don't really want you on those anyway. So you're holding a job down, you're in school, you know what you want to do with your life, or at least have an idea. So, hey, if this is working for you, great. And uh, how about you smoke it at the house from now on? So you don't have to go out and, you know, potentially drive or any of these things. And so it was really great. And so after that, my dad and I started the bond around cannabis. He was very curious always of what I was into and always wanted to, you know, be involved in what I was getting into. And, you know, he would bring me to, all of these hilarious metal shows that I used to go to and he would sit in the back, you know, and I just can imagine what he was thinking because some of these bands were absolutely hysterical, you know, going to see Decapitated or any of these bands. And so, you know, he was, he was always a big proponent of, you know, being interested in anything that I was excited about. And so fast forward about two years, I went to the Boston Freedom Rally, which is a big uh, public display of disobedience where everyone goes into the commons and they interact with cannabis and the cops are there, but they're just there to make sure no one, you know, gets heat stroke or something from being out in the hot weather. And so as long as you're not doing anything silly, they don't bother you. And so I was there and I found this guy who was yelling, who wants to make butter with me? And so I figured he was talking about can of butter. I'm like, well, you know, the, the, the juice is worth the squeeze in this, in this scenario. And so I go over to him. I grab his flyer and to my amazement, there's a basic eight week semester of cannabis uh, knowledge or uh, education starting in my house. And so at that point, you know, medical hadn't passed her yet. It was just about to pass. The, the ballot was about three months out at that point. I think it was in September and the class started in November. And I think we were going to figure out if it passed like a little bit later on that uh, year. But so at this point, you know, I had obviously been into cannabis I thought it was just going to be a hobby of mine because the only real option at that point was to move to California, where the only legal industry was existing at that point. This is even before Colorado legalized and to go to Oaksterdam, which was kind of like the cannabis school out there. And so here's this guy saying that not only is a cannabis school opening in my state, but it's five minutes from my house. And at that point, I had pretty crippling anxiety um, about driving on the highway still. That was something that I hadn't worked through yet. And uh, and so, you know, here's this opportunity that I don't have to get on the highway for or anything. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And so, you know, I wanted to dive in because I knew there were still deeper levels of my anxiety that I hadn't been able to touch yet. You know, a lot of it had been mitigated. I was able to be in social situations. I was able to go to school, but like, you know, I'd take back roads, things like that, because the highway was still kind of freaky for me. And uh, so I go home, I tell my dad and, you know, he's like, he's like, okay, do you want to do this? And I'm like, yeah, could you help me out? Because I'm a broke college student. And he was like, yes, and I'll do you one better. I'll go with you. And so I'm like, sick, this is awesome. And so my dad was not interacting with cannabis at all. Again, he's just really excited to be into what I'm into. And so we start going to the school. You know, my dad was a social butterfly. So I picked up a lot of, you know, my charisma and things like that from him. So he's making friends with everyone. He tells me like, listen, this is really what you want to do. You got to be the first one in, last one out every single day. And so, you know, I'm helping the teachers back out of their car with all their equipment at the end of the day. Like I'm asking them every question I can possibly think of. I'm offering them support. And so they end up hiring me as an intern and, you know, I'm out in the commons, you know, like vote yes on, I think it was three, vote yes on three for medical, you know, and so doing all the activism work and it was really fun. You know, I met this whole new community of people that, 
you know, were looking at cannabis a little bit differently. You know, I mean, we were still interacting with it pretty unconsciously, most of us, but, you know, there was, there was a real love and passion for what this plant had done for us in our lives. And so, you know, a little bit after that, we continue going to the school. I ended up working for them after I interned for them. And, uh, and so I'm learning about organic soil science and regenerative agriculture, and I'm starting to garden. And my father and I started cultivating once medical passed. And uh, the first harvest we had sucked. It was terrible. And so I knew I had to take more classes. And so I ended up getting into their specific grow course. And I trained with this guy, Pat, who uh, was like, at that point, he was going to Korea to learn Korean natural farming, which I had never heard about. And so he's telling me all this stuff. And I'm just nerding out because, you know, at that point, I was getting, you know, from my mortality crisis, I was now in organic food, you know, I was exercising. So I was like, hey, I want to interact with cannabis that was grown organically. And also at that point, there was no dispensary. So you know, because when medical passed, I don't think dispensaries happened for another four years. Um, things are pretty slow in legislature. And so, you know, I, I knew I'm like, well, what I'm getting isn't always what I want. And so the only way to control for that is to grow my own. And so we grew a couple plants. First harvest was terrible, but I started learning about the stuff and our second and third harvest were really good. And so it was interesting because, you know, over this journey, you know, I was growing closer to my father. And again, he wasn't interacting with cannabis, but it was just super bonding for us. And um, so a couple of years later, I, got, I went to this music festival out in Las Vegas called the Dr. Jay-Z Carnival. And when I was out there, I interacted with my first other medicine, which was MDMA. And in the crowd, in the middle of like, you know, probably 50,000 people, I have this deep heart pull. And, and again, this is like the language I would use today. I didn't know what the hell was happening when I experienced this. I knew it was a heart opener. I had done research on it. I had been in plenty of clubs watching people use it, but it just, again, was not the right set and setting that I felt comfortable to do it in. But out in Vegas, of course, it's Vegas. I was with my like really long time friends. They had never tried. It It was all our first time. So I felt safe to try it. And so when I, when I have this heart pull, I don't really know what it's based on, but I knew it had to do with my dad. You know, I just, I kept thinking about my dad. And so when I got back home, it was about a week after I got home that I found out my father was diagnosed with terminal cancer and he wasn't going to take treatment because at that point he had just finished up a three-year stint of bringing his brother every single week to Dana-Farber in Boston for cancer treatments. And he had watched what chemo and radiation had done to his brother. And when we were at cannabis school, we were meeting a lot of people that were either treating or completely curing their, their cancer with cannabis, along with many other autoimmune disorders and things like that. And I always make this statement at this point in the conversation where if people are like, what the hell is this kid talking about? There are PubMed studies based on how THC can kill cancer cells. So if anyone wants to research this, please do so. Don't take my word for it. But I wouldn't have believed it unless I saw it with my own eyes. And so people were coming in with scans with stage three, stage four cancers of many different types. They were taking on a healthy lifestyle in addition to using cannabis because cannabis is not a cure-all, but they were using cannabis as a supplementation to stop the cancer growth. And they were also dealing with the things that gave them cancer in the first place, stressful environment, you know, bad diet, you know, poor lifestyle, things like that. And they were coming in three to six months later. And it was hilarious because every single time They'd come in, they'd say, yeah, I have no tumors. And my doctors are puzzled. They asked what I'm doing. I said, I'm taking cannabis and they didn't believe me. And so this was very early on. This is again around 2016, you know, right? Or I know this is actually 2014 at this point. And so it was fascinating because when my father got diagnosed, he wasn't going to take treatment. So after about two weeks, you know, I noticed that, you know, I was having a really hard time connecting with him because I didn't know how to handle a situation that was presented to me. You know, it's like, how do you, how do you deal with someone that you love so much getting diagnosed with this disease and having two months to live? It just doesn't seem real. And so 
through that time, you know, he started experiencing some pain. And so I told him like, dad, if you're not going to take treatment, you know, can you at least try RSO, right? Rick Simpson oil. And for people listening, this is Rick Simpson is the gentleman who kind of brought this uh, concentrated form of cannabis that people use for cancer treatment into the mainstream. It's more professional name is FICO or full extract cannabis oil. Um, but this is what people are using. And so if people want to look it up, they can do so. But, you know, I was like, why don't we try some RSO? And so we made our last harvest that we grew together into RSO and I started administering it to him. And what I found that was so wild was that, you know, I would sit with him when he would try this because for anyone who's even smoked hash, that's a normal cannabis user, you know how strong it can be. And so imagine someone who hasn't interacted with cannabis in over 30 years now trying, just going right to the top, like the most, the strongest thing out there. And so I would sit with him to make sure he was comfortable, to make sure he didn't have any questions. And through that time, it was so powerful because I had already known and experienced directly what cannabis had done for me being able to connect deeper to myself. And I thought that was, I had figured it out with cannabis. Wow, this is amazing. It helped me connect to myself. But what I experienced with my father going through cancer was that this plant is a connection medicine. And so what I experienced was in those times where I was sitting with my father, I got to connect with him in ways that I had never connected with him before. I got to hear stories from his childhood that I never got to hear before. I got to watch him connect with his grandchildren, have closure with his other children, have closure with my mother, have closure with his own mortality, have closure with me. And so it was so powerful during that time. And it was at that moment that I knew I wanted to dedicate my life to cannabis and, you know, and, and, and the intentional use of it. Because at this point, I had started researching more spirituality and I knew there were some things I was missing. And so after my father passed, which was a year past his date that was originally given to him, and as a little bit of background too, you know, my father, when he got diagnosed was like, listen, man, I'm not going to stop eating the way I eat. I'm not going to stop drinking soda. I'm not going to stop smoking cigarettes. So I knew that the best we could do is, you know, uh, ease his discomfort in his final days. And so, you know, we, I got an extra year with my father that I don't know if I would have gotten otherwise. And so that time to me is invaluable. And I really credit cannabis for being able to do that because not only did it slow down the cancer growth, but it also allowed him to be able to be less stressed in general about the diagnosis and have more closure with his own mortality. And so after he passed, I ended up getting into the industry, working there for five years, super passionate about it, helping over 5,000 patients, you know, get their four doctors in control, get their six foundation principles for anyone who knows Paul Check, you know what I'm talking about. And, you know, also be able to ask them like, Hey, it's great that you're coming in and, you know, your medical patient, you know, it's awesome that you want to try cannabis, but like, what's your goal with this medicine? How will you know if it's working? Because what I knew at that point was that how most people were getting educated on cannabis was they would come into a dispensary. There was rap music blaring. A lot of these people, most of our clients were 55 plus. So you can imagine walking into an environment, mostly young people, rap music blaring, and then going up to the register. Uh, they're already sick too. So they're coming up and asking like, Hey, what do I do? And most of the advice they were getting was like, well, you know, what do you, you know, what you need to know about cannabis is you can't OD on it. And you probably want the highest THC because it's the biggest bang for your buck. And then they'd be like, okay, what if I don't want to smoke? Okay, cool. Take this hundred milligram edible. And I don't want to, you know, give the, give the awareness or give the kind of like, you know, scenario that every bud tender is giving this advice, but it happened more often than not at, at especially at other dispensaries. And so you know, what I realized was that there's a big missing gap between people understanding that they're interacting with a psychedelic. And for a lot of people, they don't think cannabis is a psychedelic. But if you look up the textbook definition of a psychedelic, it's a substance that produces hallucinations. And for anyone that has interacted with a strong dose of cannabis and close your eyes, you've seen fractals, you've seen images, and that is hallucinations. And so I categorize cannabis as a psychedelic. And so 
for a lot of people, they didn't understand this. They didn't understand the difference between THC, CBD, et cetera. And so in this experience where I was coaching these people and really guiding them, I started realizing that in order to be able to really give them individualized care, I would have to start my own business and do this, you know, separately from dispensary, because I realized that when we were working in the dispensary, a new company took over. Um, our first owner was amazing. He was totally fine with me spending an hour and a half per patient to make sure if they were a new user, they understood it by the time they left. But the second company was kind of like, Hey, we want people to get in and get out, you know, and that was their business model. I'm not going to say it was bad. It just wasn't my flavor of ice cream. And so what I decided was, okay, you know, I'm going to start my own thing. And so in December in 2019, I went through a big awakening once again in Las Vegas. I have no idea what it is about that place because it's the last place you would expect to have epiphanies, but it happened. And so I ended up coming home, realizing that I was interacting with cannabis unconsciously because uh, I was communicating directly with my soul. And I had this experience again on MDMA where I just was able to see it as clear as day. And I was noticing that the only reason I hadn't left this job that was out of alignment for me for a long time was because I was getting all the inspiration and motivation throughout the day when I wasn't using cannabis because I was only a nighttime user to make the change. But then I would come home and interact with a comforting feminine medicine that would allow me to feel comfortable. And then I would go back to my job. And then I would have this cyclical cycle of just like, I'm all frustrated and inspired to create my own thing. I go home and get comfort. I come back in the next day, all inspired and motivated. I go home and get comfort. And so I noticed this, like I had this objective lookout and I realized, oh, okay, this is a big eye opener because I was following all the, you know, the, the rules. I was only interacting with cannabis once per night. I was, you know, doing so in a healthy environment. You know, I was, um, I had my four doctors in control, all of these things. And so it was a big eye opener for me. And what I noticed was, as soon as I stopped interacting with cannabis for three months, which was the initial period I took off, I quit the job because I couldn't stand it anymore. I started the podcast because I couldn't not let my voice out, double negation, acknowledged and accepted. You know, I started coaching because that was what my, my soul was calling for. And that brought all my psychological, you know, training back into the picture. And uh, from there, you know, I really got into a lifted and I started saying yes to my heart. And so I think that's a, a good overview of kind of how I got into cannabis and why I'm into cannabis, you know, because a lot of people ask me like, hey, out of all the psychedelics, why do you choose cannabis? And it's like, you know, I didn't choose it logically, right? It's like the experiences I had led me to have the direct experience of how powerful this medicine is. And at the same time, most people using it have no idea that it has this kind of potential. And so I saw this missing gap and I was like, you know what? I want to be on the right side of history and I want to make sure that if I'm talking about these things that I'm doing so in a way that allows people to have frameworks and guidelines to be able to interact with it consciously, to avoid patterns of dependency, to avoid numbing out with it and to avoid using it as a substance. Because, you know, I'm not here to tell people whether or not, you know, the way they use it is wrong or right or how much they use it is wrong or right. But at the same time, I am here to say that if you're looking to interact with this plant as a medicine and teacher and not a substance, there are certain guidelines and frameworks that can help you do that. And that's what we do in Connect with Cannabis. And, you know, the last three years has been absolutely incredible, man. And it's been the biggest time of my life of just, you know, up-leveling and having awareness gained and all of these things. And it's really what's led me to the screen here with you today. That is such a beautiful story, particularly the aspect with your father and supporting him through end of life and to have that gift of, you know, using your gifts to support his transition. It, it hits me mm -hmm. deep in the heart. And, you know, I, that, that ancestral healing component is something that I have very recently been coming directly into contact with. And just out of the blue, I had this conversation with my mom who over the past year and a half, I've been more open to about my use of psychedelics and doing it more intentionally. 
and she has come to accept it more and more, you know, coming from the D.A.R.E. era, you know, say no to drugs, Nancy Reagan, all of that, and all of the propaganda around that, coming to the, the acceptance that this is a path that I've chosen and that, that I'm considering I'm going to do it, doing it with intention. And two weeks ago, I, I get this call from her out of the blue, and she's telling me this story about her chiropractor. And she's like, yeah, he was he was telling me about this ceremony that he went to with MDMA. And I'm like, OK, cool, cool, cool. She's like, would would you be open to doing an MDMA ceremony with me? And I was like, oh, yes, 100 oh, percent. Yes. Thing. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, how about we do it one better? We do a grandfather heart ceremony. And I was describing to her, why don't we find some place? And I, I know some people who know some people who lead ceremonies where you know the first night is with psilocybin and then the second night is with MDMA. And so that provides so much healing in grounding you into that heart space. And this, in just hearing this from my mom and understanding this, this growth in her acceptance that these are really powerful tools to support us both individually and collectively in healing our relationship with ourselves and with each other. I've heard you describe cannabis as the people psychedelic. And in, in this context that, you know, it, it started as medical and medical marijuana was how the, the inroad, the door that we entered to get it legalized. And there wasn't much structure around, you know, you're using this medically, go home, smoke it, sit on the couch and do do whatever you were doing that was causing the problem in the first place. Yeah. I, I would love to hear about, you know, your experience in learning what types of cannabis, because, you know, we, we think about cannabis in, in the framework of THC and now more frequently CBD. Mm -hmm. But cannabis contains all of these different terpenes and terpene profiles that can be very healing for different things. I would love to hear you educate me and the listeners on the different benefits, the different profiles and what they can be used for. Yeah, man, it's a great question. You know, I think for a long time, people have been going off the old sativa indica hybrid thing. But, you know, in, in, in reality, everything is a hybrid these days, right? Like everything's been hybridized to death, unless you're really looking into companies that are, you know, preserving heirloom genetics and uh, land race genetics. And there are a couple of companies that do that. Um, Ace Seeds and Cannabiogen Seeds, uh, they're really cool. And they still have Panama Red and all the old strains, you know, Colombian Gold, all that stuff. But in reality, the sativa, sativa indica hybrid thing is kind of only something I use to, to, to describe the structure of a plant's growth. So if something is tall and lanky, you know, I'm going to say that it's more sativa in nature. If it's short and stout, I'm going to say it's more indica in growth pattern. But I'm not going to say in terms of effect what it might be because you could have a short plant these days that gives you a very energetic effect because everything's been hybridized. And so the way I think about it is that cannabinoids, right, THC, CBD, et cetera, are kind of like the gas and brake pedal. They're how fast you might go or how slow you might go. But just knowing that doesn't tell you in what direction. And so that's where terpenes come in. Terpenes provide the steering wheel in the car analogy of like, okay, are you going strong, like to the left? Are you going like slow to the right? Like, you know, where exactly are you going? And so to give a couple of examples, you know, if you're looking at something like, I want a really euphoric, energetic effect. Okay, cool. Well, then if you go to a dispensary, 
rather than saying I want something with a certain amount of THC, you know, you might actually look at the terpene profile, which most dispensaries these days are starting to put on the container. Uh, most, most high quality dispensaries anyway. And so if you're looking for something energetic in nature, you might look for something with a terpene profile that's high in terpenes such as terpenaline, limonene, or pinene. Those are very energetic in nature. And actually, as a side note, because I know most people are interested in this in some way, shape, or form, if you're looking to make love, right, if you're looking to connect with a, uh, romantically with your partner, limonene is a fantastic terpene for that because it's very euphoric. It's very sensation driven and also will keep you awake enough to be able to actually initiate romance because the last thing you want to do is fall asleep in your partner because you got something high in mercy. And so on the other side of things, if you want something relaxing, sedating, pain relieving, you, that might be an area where you actually do want to go a little higher in THC because THC can uh, inhibit pain. But in the same way, if you want something that's going to be relaxing, sedating, in terms of terpenes, you want to go for something high in myrcene or linalool as a couple of examples. Now, linalool is found in lavender. Uh, you know, myrcene is found most abundantly in mangoes. And it's one of the reasons why if you eat a mango before interacting with cannabis, it helps increase the blood-brain permeability of terpenes to be able to cross the blood-brain barrier. And so you're actually able to get a stronger effect from it if you eat a mango beforehand. Dark chocolate also has a similar effect, but mango is the number one. And so for anyone listening, um, you know, be wary of trying that out because I remember the first time I tried it, I kind of forgot I was still daily use at this point this years ago. And I heard about this somewhere on high times or something. And I ate a mango, kind of forgot about it and interacted with cannabis. And it was like a full on psychedelic experience. And so it can definitely potentiate things. And so be wary of that. But, you know, one of the challenges I think is the language around cannabis, you know, the idea of recreational cannabis is so silly because we know that language creates reality. And a lot of people don't do a lot of inner investigation on what language is doing to them. And so when they hear this idea of recreational cannabis, well, what does it tell them? Oh, this plant is able to be used recreationally. And what I firmly believe is that all cannabis use is medical in some nature, because if you're looking to even numb out from something, well, in a certain stance, right? Like you are using it in a medical type of way, but at the same time, you're using it more as a pharmaceutical would be used, right? Which is to numb out the signals your body is giving you that pain is there, that anxiety is there, that depression is there, et cetera. And so I think that, you know, personally, from what I've seen in over 5,000 people and now coaching Connect with Cannabis is that all people are interacting with cannabis because they're looking for something. They're curious. And so in that way, I'm, I'm viewing cannabis as always medical, you know, binary language and knowledge. And so I think this recreational thing really has a challenge in language right now because it's, it's leading a lot of people astray. And I think that with any psychedelic, we know that they have incredible benefits, right? But they're not a given. And I think that a lot of people are finding themselves in some hot water because they're listening to individuals that might have the best of intentions who are saying, hey, this really helped me. You should try it, right? And again, great intentions. They love someone. They want to share this with someone but they're not meant for everyone. And I think that that's one of the things that I always will go out on the limb and say is because, you know, for me, I don't want people to get shiny objects in there and be like, oh my God, I need to try psychedelics because they're this shortcut. They're not really a shortcut. They're actually kind of an atom bomb in a way, because when you interact with them intentionally, what you find is that it will allow you to gain awareness over all of the stuff that's actually like standing in your way of experiencing the happiness, the joy, the euphoria that you can't right now experience in your day-to-day -day life. And so, a big part of this is with integration, right? Like integration is actually where you figure out like, okay, I had this PEAK peak experience where everything was amazing. And, you know, I felt love and all of these things. And now I'm back in my sober state of reality and I'm still feeling this challenge. Well, what a lot of people do is they go, well, I must need more medicine to access that state again. 
but they're missing, they're, they're kind of mistaking the psychedelics as the sun or moon, when in reality, they're just the finger that can point you back to the sun or moon when you get disoriented, right? They can tell you what might be going on. But I think this is one of the challenges with these idea of recreational and things like that is people aren't doing enough inner investigation to use discernment to figure out if these medicines are right for them. And if so, how to do so in a way that's actually going to be beneficial for their day-to-day life. Yeah. What, one thing I've, I've had a, a fraught relationship with cannabis. I started smoking around 14, 15 years old in high school. And it always, no matter indica, sativa, whatever I was smoking, caused a lot of paranoia, anxiety, and different, what, what I at the time was terming negative emotions were coming up. And ultimately, as, as a psychedelic, cannabis is a psychedelic, it provided this mirror of me coming into awareness of things in my life that I had been shutting off to. Yes. And so when we have these tools to bring in the awareness, like now I smoke once, twice a week. And my process is, you know, I, I hold the medicine, I pray over it. I set intention of what I want to get out of it, you know, where attention goes, energy flows. And so when I go into this experience, knowing that I experience, I'm going to experience potentially some paranoia, some anxiety, um, going into that with, all right, what is that voice? Is it my inner critic telling me that I'm not exercising enough? Mm. And can I use being in the plant medicine space, being with cannabis, this feminine energy, Mm. can I go put on a playlist and dance for an hour and move my body? And that without fail, will allow me to move through the feeling that, you know, I'm judging myself for not getting in a workout this day or for, you know, potentially these different areas of my life where I may not be looking at from the conscious mind, being able to drop in and cannabis as a somatic medicine for allowing us to feel where we're, we're stiff in our body or where we may be holding on to some energy, our emotions, our energy in motion where we can begin to allow ourselves to come out of the conscious mind and into the body to move through that. Cannabis is, is so powerful when we do these very simple processes of intention setting and integration. A hundred percent, man. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, you mentioned a lot of the things that are in our processes and frameworks that we teach people. And I'd love to run through it real quick. Cause I think, you know, what I always love to do is allow people who are listening to walk away with something that they can go experiment with. And what I always say is that I'm not here to tell people once again, like how to interact with cannabis or what they should be doing, because I don't like to shoot all over people. But at the same time, I'm here to say, hey, this is what's worked for me. Try it out in your own life and see if it applies. If it does, great, take it on. If it doesn't, great, go find someone else who's preaching something else. And maybe that will resonate with you. And so what I found is that there are three steps to be able to become conscious in your uh, relationship with cannabis. And this really applies to any psychedelic, I think, but especially with cannabis, that if someone is listening right now, who is like, okay, I think I might be interacting unconsciously, you know, how do I move from the unconscious use into conscious use? So the first step is what we call taking your power back. And it's first realizing that you actually have power in the equation, right? And so like you were saying, when originally you were experiencing paranoia and anxiety, and then realizing, oh, This is actually mirroring back what's already inside of me. So it's not cannabis making me anxious or making me paranoid because that's an externalization of power. It's, wow, cannabis is giving me the opportunity to see what's already living inside of me that might be contributing to why I feel dis-ease in my mental, emotional, you know, spiritual or physical state of being. And so 
the first step is taking your power back. And what that includes is the concepts of intention and ceremony. And so intention, you know, and I'll get into this a little bit more in the next uh, process we go through, but, you know, with cannabis being a feminine medicine, it's not its job to figure out where we want to go or why we're choosing to interact with the medicine. It can take us where we want to go, but we have to give it the direction. We have to provide that masculine component of the direction, whether we're female or female. And so by setting an intention, you're saying, hey, cannabis, this is what I'm looking for assistance with today. This is what I would like you to guide me into seeing. And so when we set this intention, it could be as simple as I'm looking to experience happiness on the other side of this bowl of this joint, et cetera. It could be as complex as, hey, cannabis, I'm looking to experience my infinite nature as a divine being in the, the universe, right? So it can be as, as grandiose or as simple as you want to make it, right? And I think with intention, you know, a lot of people think it has to be really complicated, but it doesn't, right? Like maybe sometime you're with an old friend and, you know, you're looking to connect with them a little deeper, maybe you haven't in a couple of years and it's like, Hey, cannabis, you know, my intention is I really want to feel more connected to this person and really figure out like what makes them, you know, what makes them tick, you know, what are they really passionate about? I want to get down to the deeper layers with this person. And then you guys interact with this cannabis. And what you'll find is that, you know, very, very often, I would say at least nine times out of 10 for me, I get my intention spot on. And the, the time that it doesn't, it's just that I'm not aware of what it's showing me. And so as an example, you know, if I set the intention to be happy on the other end of this, you know, join or bowl or whatever, and then I start experiencing anxiety. Well, if you didn't set that intention, you might go, oh my God, why am I experiencing anxiety? Cannabis usually does this for me, X, Y, Z. But what you might not realize is that, okay, well, maybe cannabis is looking to purify you. And so it's like, okay, man, you know, mate, this is what's standing in your way of being happy every day is just this anxiety. Just feel into it, actually feel into it. Because what we know is that when you actually allow emotion to be felt, it can only last so long before it dissipates, right? Energy emotion. It wants to stay in motion. It doesn't want to stagnate inside of you. And so a lot of times when we're experiencing something that might seem different than our intention said, we might just not be patient enough to wait through the process of actually sitting into the emotion, being patient, giving ourselves grace, et cetera, to be able to get the other side of that. And then the ceremony is really the container in which you set for your intention to play out within. And so a couple of easy steps for this, you know, that I love to do for people is saging, uh, to get out any negative energy in your set and setting or your setting rather, and, and potentially your set as well. Um, and then being able to palo santo yourself after to reintegrate new positive energy into your space and also into your mental state. And then from there, doing a seven directional prayer, right? Giving thanks to each of the seven directions and then making sure, of course, your set and setting is good, right? Like if you're, if you just had a blowout fight with someone and you're like, screw this, I'm going to interact with cannabis, probably not the right set to go into that with your mental state, right? If at the same time, if you're looking to interact with cannabis intentionally and in a ceremony and you do so in the middle of a concert, probably not the right setting. And so it involves like set and setting, the staging, this Palo Santoing and the seven directional prayers, how, like kind of a basic framework I give for how to create the ceremony. And so once you've done that, once you've set your intention and you provided the ceremonial space from which that intention can play out within, you can move on to step two, which we call unlocking your creative potential. And so we've all heard that cannabis can produce or you know, bring out creativity. But we also know it's not a given. And so what I've experienced in my you know, relationship with cannabis is that the missing component is that more often than not, people are not surrendering to the plant. And so essentially, what are they doing? They're saying, okay, cannabis, come into my body and have a voice within me. And then they're white knuckling the whole way. And they're like, why am I not getting the results I want? It's like, well, because if you don't set an intention... Well, then the idea of surrender can be really challenging, right? Surrender is a trigger term for a lot of people. And it's because they don't know what they're surrendering into. So if you're 
you know, interacting with cannabis or a large dose of mushrooms or LSD or MDMA or anything, and you don't set an intention. And then a facilitator comes up and goes, just surrender. You'll be okay. You're like, fuck you, dude. I don't want to surrender. Like, like I feel terrified right now, but it's that white knuckling. It's that resistance that is causing you to have the bad experience. It's, it's you refusing to look at what the medicine's looking to show you. And so if you set that intention and you have the right ceremonial space, it's much easier to surrender into allowing the plant to work through you. And so once you're able to do that, you can then move on to what I feel is the most important step, which is becoming unstoppable, step three. And what this deals with is the concept of integration. And like we talked about a little bit earlier, this is really where the rubber meets the road, as they say. And so what I mean by that is that you have this PEAK experience where you experience, you know, either a euphoric feeling or a challenge or whatever. And then if you come out of it and you don't actually integrate, well, then you're going to fall into the belief that you need more medicine to reach the same state again. And this is where a lot of people become dependent on cannabis or other psychedelics as well. And they end up mistaking them as the moon or sun. And so an example I give for this is say you're experiencing your intention is to, is to figure out why you've been experiencing a block in creativity. And so you go into it and you have this experience where you realize, oh my God, I've been working so hard, all work and no play. And I've really been craving painting in my life. I used to paint when I was younger and I loved it. And so you have all the inspiration and motivation necessary. You're like, I'm going to start painting again. And then you come out of the experience, you wake up the next day, you're in your sober state of reality with all your limiting beliefs or whatever might be there. And you don't take action. You don't sign up for the paint class. You don't go buy a paint kit. You don't do anything with the information that you gain in the experience. Well, then a week goes by and you're like, man, I feel like shit again. I'm going to interact with cannabis again or insert psychedelic here to figure out why I still feel this creative block. And so eventually the plant's like, how many times do I have to tell you this, man? Because they can give you the what, right? Cannabis, psychedelics, they'll show you the what, right? Like it's painting, it's this, but it's up to you. It's our end of the bargain to figure out the how. So on the other side, say you experience that, you know, that feeling of, I want to paint. And then you come out of that experience, you wake up the next day and you go, even though it's scary, I'm going to sign up for a paint class this week. Well, if you do that and you go to that paint class, synchronicities will start happening. Or maybe what happens is you meet someone, maybe you meet a romantic partner that you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And maybe you meet a new friend that now you're like, wow, I had no one to paint with. And now every Friday, me and this person are going to paint together. And so now it's a community. I'm starting to know everyone. Maybe one week the teacher calls in sick and they're going to cancel the class. And they're like, hey man, I've seen you showing up. Um, Would you be comfortable teaching the class? Before you know it, now you're teaching your own art class. Any of these things can happen. But you know, I think that a lot of the time with manifestation, with all of these things, we think that we can just pray and all of it will figure itself out. But like Paul says a lot from the Quaker branch of Christianity, the real idea here is praying and moving your feet, right? The praying is figuring out the what, the moving your feet is figuring out the how. And if you can do that, if you can show the universe that your buy-in is, is you're actually putting the effort forward, then the universe will start giving you these winks and these flirtations. And this is a big subject I've been diving into recently is how if the universe of source of God, you know, if whatever you want to call it is feminine, which I choose to believe, well, then it's kind of like this romance, right? Where, you know, it's kind of winking at you and saying, you're getting warmer, follow the breadcrumb trail, you know, all of these things. And, you know, I choose to believe that statement because that helps my experience of life be better. Someone listens to it and doesn't like it. You can take it or leave it. I'm unattached. But I think that three-step process, if someone's listening, will allow someone to go from the unconscious into the conscious use of cannabis. And then from there, they can start looking at like, okay, how often am I interacting with cannabis? Do I feel really good interacting with it daily? Because again, I'm not here to say whether or not daily use is good or bad. For me, it was a challenge. So now I'm very similar to you. I interact with cannabis only on the weekends because I know myself well enough to know that during the weeks are the times I'm most 
like try to be stressful, right? Like those are the times that, you know, stress is going to be most easily come out running business, doing podcasts, things like that. And that's going to be the time that still the voice goes, just numb up with cannabis, just, just smoke cannabis. It'll all be fine. And I'm like, no, because if something's not going right in business, if I'm feeling a, attention and something I'm doing, if the system's not working correctly, I don't want to numb that out because it's not going to move my business ahead. It's not going to move me ahead. If there's a difficult conversation that I'm not having and I decide to numb out instead of having it, well, then I'm wasting time and time is the most valuable resource. And so being able to understand this about myself has allowed me to create this structure because I know on the weekends, you know, that's the time I let loose. I get pure and effeminate energy. And so I'm not worried about interacting with cannabis then. And also I'm doing so with the intention of going, okay, on Monday last week, I experienced a really big challenge with, you know, a person in my life, with business, et cetera. And I didn't exactly like the way I responded. Cannabis, can you please show me what's going on there? And then I get this awareness gained. And then I go into the next week without cannabis to try it out. And I go, okay, how well am I doing at relaxing, at having hard conversations, et cetera? And then the next week after that, I can check in and go, okay, how well did I do? Did I miss something? You know, is there something there for me to still learn? And so, you can see how when you start applying this three-step process and understanding why you're interacting with cannabis and you start actually taking ownership over the parts of your relationship with cannabis that you might not want to take ownership of, but they're the parts holding you back in your own life because you're using this plant to numb out, it can move you much more ahead. And that's why, you know, we firmly believe that cannabis is an extremely powerful tool when used properly and intentionally for self-development and self-awareness. And really like the why there is so you can connect more to yourself, those you love, the important work you do in the world and the world at large. Because I truly believe that right now, we're not going through an epidemic of loneliness, as many people say. Society has this way of making the result the problem. Loneliness is the result. The problem is an inability for most people to connect deeply to their lives, those they love, the important work they're doing in the world at large. And so we really feel that cannabis can be one river out of many rivers that can lead to the same sea of solving that connection issue. But once again, it's not for everyone. You know, if someone's listening who doesn't resonate with cannabis, I'm not telling you to interact with it. But if you are someone who's drawn to cannabis, start applying this and be your own scientist, figure out how it works for you and get curious, you know, because this plant can be much more than it typically is viewed as. But I also believe it's a shy spirit. So it's not going to show you these things unless it knows that you're willing to see it. And the way that I think about this is, you know, in human design, I'm a 5-1 projector. And so what I've learned about projectors is that we love taking in information and guiding and teaching. But a lot of times what happens if we're living out of uh, integrity with our design is that we're learning stuff and then regurgitating it at people that don't want to hear it. And then we become like this like person that's like, oh, this guy's always talking about stuff I just don't want to know about. And so it's very similar to cannabis where cannabis waits for the invitation. And that's the strategy that I have in human design where someone goes, hey, Ryan, what's that thing you were talking about, right? You know, I actually heard this great thing recently where someone goes, oh, I read a good book once. If someone asks them a question, if they go, what book? Then they know they're ready to actually hear the information and they can actually go forward and it will be well received. And so cannabis is very similar where until you start actually going, okay, cannabis, show me what's really possible here. Then cannabis will go, okay, how deep do you want to go? And so that's why I'm such a big proponent of getting curious and staying curious because I really feel that it's in the mind of a child that will be able to actually enter the kingdom of heaven as the Bible states. And I'm not religious. I'm very spiritual, but I know a good line when I hear it. <laughs> I love that very elegant breakdown of the three steps oh, in allowing us yeah, to begin really analyzing and using it as a tool rather than a drug. And that's the power that I see in all psychedelics. Mm. And, you know, coming back to my own experience of 
experiencing the the paranoia, the anxiety, the the judgment voice, it allowed me to notice that my inner critic is very strong. And one of the tools outside of psychedelics that has been so powerful is the language game in lifted system of, all right, where, where am I selling myself short and not applying my goals in a direct coherent way? Or where am I projecting my emotions onto other people or focusing on what isn't, what can't be, what won't be versus, you know, what I have power over. And when I step into the cannabis space, the plant medicine space, a lot of the times my intention is just may I allow this experience to be my dojo. And the the language work, the story work allows for some very deep tools for us to begin grappling with what cannabis is directing at us in these challenging ways. And it's so much fun for me to just be in my head now when I experience whatever cannabis is throwing at me in this flow of my own thoughts being reflected back to me. What's happening, Innate Flow family? I'm interrupting this episode to talk with you about something of incredible importance. We live in a time where there is much polarization and fracturing in the world, so much so that much of our society has internalized that energy creating symptoms of depression, anxiety, and other mind viruses. This is why the world needs you now more than ever. It needs your healing, your awareness, and compassion. And one of the most powerful allies that I've encountered in my healing journey has been psychedelic mushrooms. This is why I created the Innate Flow Microdose Immersion. Join me over 12 weeks as we simultaneously build our relationship with the medicine while connecting with the truth of who we are befriending the different parts of ourself, and building vision in our lives within a supportive community. Through the wisdom of mystery traditions and sacred healing practices, you will build a practical tool belt for living with full intention and curiosity, allowing you to shift from merely surviving the day-to-day into creating the life you have always dreamed of. Round 3 starts in early October 2022. Book a time to chat with me at innateflow.co and join us in the awakening. The world needs you, your community needs you, in all of your beauty and your truth. I will talk with you soon. I'm curious how, how cannabis combined with your integration of story work and language work has supported you in your own healing and processing. Man, you know, I... Aside from psychedelics, uh, used responsibly and intentionally because I, you know, I'm not here to judge anyone if they want to use them as substances. Like, hey, I'm not saying that can't be, um, you know, positive. It's just that it's it's more challenging to be so. It might happen as a result, right? Maybe you made an unconscious intention, but I think at the same time, uh, it can be challenging in nature more often than not. And so, for me, aside from you know intentionally using psychedelics, the number one thing that's helped me in my in my journey is story work and looking at language. And Lifted has been huge for me. Mark's a really good buddy of mine. We hang out quite frequently. And what a gangster that guy is. I know you recently had him on. He's just such a wealth of information. And he's so humble too about it. And, you know, for me, you know, in the Connect with Cannabis program, we lay out a lot of language and story work. And so I'll give you an idea of, you know, what this would look like in, in, the, in regards to cannabis. And you could really do this with any psychedelic you could do with without psychedelics you can do with anything so for anyone listening uh whether you're a psychedelic user or not this can this can be a useful tool in your life and so one of the first modalities that came up with that happened at a retreat that i was hosting where you know when i got into coaching 
I was looking to be a general transformation coach. And when I was going around all these different groups, you know, training camp, strong coach, all these people, you know, I would, you know, teach them about cannabis just because one of my passions. And, you know, I'd, I'd always ask them like, so about this coaching thing. And they'd be like, yeah, but I want to know more about your cannabis stuff. And I was like, man, I thought I was going to leave cannabis. And now this stuff's coming back in. So I started hosting cannabis ceremonies when I would go to retreats and such. And they were a big hit. And I was hosting this retreat and I had on the calendar cannabis workshop. Didn't know what I was going to do. Most of the people there had already experienced my typical cannabis ceremony. So I wanted to do something different, but I didn't know what it was. And one of the ways I work well is under pressure. And so it was 10 minutes before this workshop started. I had no idea what I was going to do. So I go outside and do some stretching with the stick mobility sticks. And that's kind of like my dojo where I'm like, all right, let me think, let me get into my head. Let me figure out, let me get an intuitive knowing, you know, uh, 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 insert into the mail slot as I call it. And so I'm out there and boom, it hits me. This idea of the conversation with cannabis. Cause I talk about how cannabis yearns to be in a co-communicative relationship with anyone that interacts with it. But most people just don't know it can act that way. And so it doesn't act that way because again, belief is a big part of this. And so I had this idea where I'm like, you know what? People are experiencing challenges with their relationship with cannabis and they're trying to do all these external things like, okay, maybe fix my diet, all these things, which are great. But a lot of times they're avoiding the hard conversation with cannabis herself. And so this framework, what we do is, and this is the second module in the program and a lot comes out in this, uh, in most cases is we have you first in a sober state of reality without any cannabis or anything included. We have you write a love letter to cannabis and you don't have to call it a love letter, but the way I look at it is like, if cannabis is a feminine essence, then especially for men, but also for women too, you can, you know, you can do whatever you want, but you know, we, we look at it as like, imagine a scenario in which you're in marriage counseling and you really want this to work out. Right. And you're like, you have this moment of like, how did I get here? And in that moment, you realize I have to be really honest with my partner or I'm going to lose them. And so in this initial letter, you're owning up to everything that is your end of the bargain in your relationship with cannabis. You're also stating all the things you love about this plant, you know? So maybe an example would be something like, cannabis, you know, I've loved you for many years. I'm now noticing that, you know, I've been overusing you. I've been numbing out with you. And I'd really like to fix this dynamic, you know, that we have in our relationship. And so you continue going on and you just get poured all out. And so then after you finish this first letter, you then connect with cannabis. And once the essence of the plant has filled your body, you then write a return letter back to the original version of yourself that wrote the first letter with cannabis speaking through you. And now we know physiologically that you're entering the subconscious through alpha and theta brainwave states, which is all research backed. And so when you wrote the first letter, chances are you were in beta brainwaves, right? Which is like your typical, you know, conscious reality. And so when you're getting into the subconscious, your ego and your protection mechanisms come down, your default mode network comes down, and you're able to be a little more honest, compassionate, loving, caring about the version of you that wrote that first letter. And so in this return letter, you know, what comes out for people is so powerful. I mean, it could be anything as simple as like, Hey, I love you anyway. You know, I love you for who you are and I'm grateful for you showing up and taking ownership over these things. And we can work on this to anything like, Hey, I know you've been experiencing challenges since a parent passed away and whatever. And, you know, I'm really grateful that you've called on me to be able to help you. And I'm really grateful that you've been realizing that, you know, these things that you brought up are very easy to be worked on, right? But they just take ownership first. And I'm very grateful for you taking that ownership. And so it provides that feminine mothering energy that whether you're male or female, a lot of people are missing out on. And so just that, you know, uh, just that modality alone really is powerful. And I do it quite frequently whenever I'm experiencing a challenge. And the great part is, that once you, once you do this initial letter to and from cannabis, you can plug in anything and allow cannabis or even a sober state of reality to help you do that. And what I mean by that is like, so maybe you're having 
a challenge with your partner, right? And so your initial letter is writing your love letter to your partner. And then you interact with cannabis and you have cannabis kind of take on the energy of your partner and write a letter back to you. So instead of going and regurgitating all the stuff of your partner and, you know, all this ego stuff, you take a break and you actually like figure out what they might say back. And then when you come have that difficult conversation with them, you're downregulated. You already know a lot of the things you want to say, and you've already thought about it a lot and reflected on it. And so it can be a really great exercise to pattern interrupt that reaction a lot of us have and be able to allow us to respond in a healthy, conducive manner to allow our relationships and connection, once again, to the world at large, to be able to, to grow and cultivate into a beautiful, beautiful scenario. And, you know, that's just one of the examples we use in the program, but we also have, you know, flipping limited beliefs. We have musical therapy. We have all these connection exercises that all include language work in some way, shape, or form. And so language work is huge because as Mark says all the time, and I imagine you said in your podcast, you know, language creates our reality, right? Like abracadabra with our words we create. And so a lot of people don't realize that, you know, when they're saying like, Hey, how you doing? I'm like, Oh, life sucks. Then you die. Ha ha. Real funny. It's like, oh, do you really want that spell casting into reality and manifesting your life in front of you? And so a lot of what's great with cannabis is that you can actually feel the resonance of language at a deeper level, because what I find is that, you know, people might hear someone like me or Mark or you talking about language and go, yeah, it makes sense. But they have this challenge actually being like, I don't know if I'm really experiencing this. And so for those kind of people, you have them interact with cannabis and do some ohms or something. And all of a sudden they're like, whoa, I don't know what I just experienced, but I felt that it's like, okay, cool. Now let's move into some story work. Right. And so like, it allows people to have the direct experience of what this does. And then when they go back to their sober reality, they go like, I know it works because I felt it. And now they're, they've kind of bought into it more. Right. And they're more believing of it. Cause again, the power of belief is everything. If you choose to believe that everything I've said in this episode, anyone listening is false. Great. Right. But if you choose to believe it's true or might be true, when you decide to try it out in your own life, what you'll find is very powerful, but it all starts with belief. And, you know, I think the beliefs even start deeper than that with the language that we use. And understanding that these are non-specific amplifiers. So yes. looking, looking at what beliefs are serving me, what beliefs aren't from a really radical place of responsibility, awareness, acceptance, can allow these to be even more powerful. And I'm curious at the end of that, where you write a letter to cannabis from this you know, non-plant medicine space and then write the return letter, what is the process of integration that a person would go through? Yeah, so what they would do then is they would look at kind of what came out in both letters. And this is kind of what we do on the group calls. We'll go, okay, cool, read your letters. Okay, great. What are, what are like the high points, pardon the pun, what are the high points of these letters, right? What are the things that really touched you, you know? And so maybe they have, you know, in their first letter, you know, this ability to own up to what you know, overusing cannabis, let's say. And then in the return letter, it's the grace that cannabis showed them. Maybe they didn't expect that to happen. Maybe they expected cannabis to, you know, to, to belittle them or like to tell them like, I knew you were overusing me, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so then it would be like, okay, first you're going to practice interacting with cannabis less and see what comes up. And second, you're also going to look into like, why did you believe cannabis was going to shit on you, right? Like, what is that? Where does that come from? Did your mom or dad show you that? Did that happen prenatally? And then we get into inner child work too with that, uh, depending on where it goes. But 
what their integration could look like in that hypothetical scenario is interacting with cannabis less and doing some investigatory work either with or without cannabis to figure out like, yeah, why did my, why was I so scared of cannabis shitting on me? Why was I so scared of cannabis being like, I told you so, you know, not giving me any comfort and just like expecting, um, you know, that cannabis would like, you know, belittle me and do these things. And so that's an example of what integration could look like. Of course, for every person it's different, but what I do as the coach in the program is I look at like, okay, what are they thinking of the high points? Do I feel like those were the only high points? Do I feel like they missed something? If so, why? Because a lot of times what we know is, especially when they come to the calls, most people are sober. So they might've experienced something that was very powerful, but then they kind of like retract a little bit. They get a little like scared and they're like, yeah, you know, these couple things were powerful. And I'm like, well, what about that thing? And they're like, um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I kind of felt it in the experience that that was powerful, but I don't know. And I'm like, well, what's going on there? you know? And so I'll help them dig deeper and be like, why do you feel so comfortable about that thing? Because that thing seems really powerful from my point of view. I'm curious how you feel about it. And in most cases, when that kind of scenario happens, they go, yeah, yeah, that was the most powerful thing. Like, okay, cool. Why were you ignoring it? You know? And so then we can either dive into some one-on-one work if it's too challenging to do on the group call, or we can do it right on the group call. And the reason I love the group calls is because a lot of times, if someone goes through a scenario like that, the next person will go, Hey, actually, um, what so-and-so said, um, I feel the same way. I was going to say these things, but it's actually this thing. And now I feel safe enough to say it because that person was vulnerable enough to go there. And so a lot of times we fill in the missing gaps for one another. And what do we experience in that? That we are all divine beings going through challenges and that we're not going to get judged as a result of our challenges from anyone that's actually going to matter in our lives. If they do make fun of us or anything like that, like if someone you know, shares vulnerably, it doesn't happen in the program, of course, but you know, if someone shares vulnerably to a friend and that person laughs at them, well, that person is just not meant to be in your life. And it's up to you to respect and love yourself enough to go, Hey, I love you. I'm not wishing any bad in you, but I I'm choosing a different flavor of ice cream at this point in my life. Cause I've been realizing that in the food scenario that I've been eating chocolate and I actually really prefer coffee and I'm not going to continue eating chocolate and telling you that your chocolate ice cream is good when I just don't like it. You know, and so a lot of times that's what comes out of the program. And, you know, what I love about Connect with Cannabis and, you know, what I found is that I've done lots of different programs and all of them are fantastic and they've changed my entire lease on reality. What I've noticed is, you know, with certain programs like Lifted, that was 100% my thing. I, I use that in every single coaching appointment I do in some way, shape or form. And there were other programs I went through. Where I was like, wow, that was cool. But it's not a modality that I really connected with. And so what we did in Connect with Cannabis, we put 10 different modalities in there, knowing that most people that go through it are going to find a couple that they're like, oh, my God, I love that modality. And then a couple that don't resonate with them. Everyone's different, different strokes for different folks. And so no matter who you are, you're going to walk away from this program, having experienced 10 totally different modalities in which to include cannabis in or even to not include cannabis in. Because we also know that most of the people going through our program are coaches, facilitators, healers. And they're going to be working with clients that might not interact with psychedelics. And so even if you're someone who is interested in this more for you, and you're also a coach, but you're like, most of my clients don't use psychedelics. Well, great. You're still going to learn 10 modalities that you can just take cannabis out of, and it will work a little bit differently, but the same modality exists and works. And so we wanted to make sure we were giving people the most bang for their buck. And what I noticed was like giving people a buffet to pick what they like out of is just so exciting. And it allows people to really connect. And, you know, we've had some amazing alumni that have really taken what we've, you know, taught them and run with it and made their own things. And it's just so amazing to watch this blossom because 
you know, as you know, in your, in your program too, like it's so powerful because a lot of times when people come in there, they teach me things that I didn't know. Right. And, and they allow me to really feel even a deeper level of what cannabis does for me. And so it's this reciprocity that I'm just full on addicted to at this point. And it's really what runs my life is the ethos and, and really like bottom story of my life is that, you know, as Gandhi said, if you want to lose yourself, if you want to find yourself, rather lose yourself in the service of others. And it's so cool because what I've realized and what I choose to believe is that we are all walking each other home, as Ram Dass says. And so if we are all reflections of one another, then what I do for you also helps me. But it's not with the intention of like, I'm only helping you to help me. But it's like when you lose yourself in the service of others, right, you lose your sense of self, helping someone else in their experience of life, you get a return from that. And that is like the best high that I've ever found. And I am full on addicted to it. And it is so fun. <laughs> me too, brother. I, it, it is, it brings me so much joy and it comes with the energy of curiosity and humility to really yes. like to know what your gifts are, to be confident and secure in those gifts. And also to know that there is this level of reciprocity in the coaching space that is amplified by the expanded aperture of plant medicine, of microdosing psilocybin, LSD, sitting with cannabis. And I'm going to, I'm going to use that exercise that, that you discussed yeah. in my next workshop. And I'll let you know how it yes. goes because yes. I've really been wanting to explore cannabis as a, um, as a plant medicine. I, I use it for myself and had the opportunity one-on-one um, -on -one during the, the training camp for the soul retreat that happened just mm -hmm. a couple, about a month ago that I was facilitating for to, to guide some one-on-one -on -one, um, cannabis ceremonies. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I love how accessible it is and people who may not be open to psilocybin, to LSD, to these substances that have more baggage around them are likely at the very least smoked cannabis back when they were in the twenties. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, you know, to go back to the people psychedelic, that's why I call it the people psychedelic because most people are aware of it. Like if you tell someone you smoke cannabis, no one's going to be like, Oh my God, what you do? What? Like, they're going to be like, okay, cool. Uh, awesome. Do you want to smoke a joint or oh, cool? Not for me, but interested. That's awesome. And so like, it's, it's got a lot of the, the shock value taken away from it. Whereas like psilocybin, LSD, MDMA, of course, I've benefited fantastically from all of these medicines, but they are still kind of a shock value when you tell like the average person, they're kind of like, whoa, I, I don't want to do that. Right. And so one of the reasons that the people psychedelics is because of that, but also unlike a lot of the other psychedelics, it is a little kinder and gentler. Now, of course, this also goes along with dosing, but with, you know, something like mushrooms or, you know, LSD specifically. Because I think every LSD experience I've ever had is like, well, this was more than I expected. And it was great, right? I came out of it, but it's very hard to, to, to dose that out. And so with cannabis, you know, unless you're really making a poor decision eating like 100 milligram edible when you don't interact with cannabis, it's really hard to like take so many hits of cannabis that you're in an uncomfortable spot, like without knowing you're going to be there. Um, you know, and, and again, it does happen, but it's just harder is, is what I found. And worst case, it's a couple hours versus like psilocybin, you know, four or five at least. LSD, you're talking eight to 10 MDMA. I found it's pretty challenging to have a bad experience unless you get some really bunk medicine. But, um, but with regards to that, you know, we hear a lot about ayahuasca, wachuma, all of these beautiful medicines, but a lot of the time people don't have the time to go to the jungle. They don't have the time to take a week off from their life. They don't have the time to like go through this stuff. And so cannabis is able to be done in the comfort of your own home. It's able to be done and technically be able to still cook dinner and like provide for your family and do these kind of things. And so 
it's, it's really able to be integrated into a normal life where someone needs to work 40 hours a week or do these things and still allow them, if they use it intentionally, to benefit from the positive effects that plant medicines have to offer. Now, again, it doesn't mean that it's a, a given that you, you, know, you interact with cannabis, you get positive results, but it's the people psychedelic as I see it because it allows the common average individual to be able to have an opportunity to benefit from what these plant medicines offer without having to leave his or her house, uproot their life, and, and in many cases, worry about having their kids taken away from them, any of these kind of things. Because in most states, it's least decriminalized. In a lot of states, it's medical. And I think in over 23 states now, it's recreational. And so, you know, I think the tide is changing, you know, slowly but surely. But I think we're seeing a huge revolution. And, you know, I really am just so grateful. And I, I take a lot of, you know, uh, pride in making sure that, you know, when I'm saying these things, I'm telling people like, Hey, there's nothing cool about psychedelics. Don't feel like you need to interact with these things. There's many other rivers that can take you to the same sea. But if you are someone who is discerned that these things are right for you in your life, well then, Hey, I'm going to provide you guidelines and frameworks that have helped me in the hopes that they help you too. You know, and I think that's, you know, exactly what you're doing with your program. And, you know, what I see so many people doing, I think that's the side of history I want to be on, you know? Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And to get to dosage, I, some of my, well, my most challenging experience with psychedelics was not on my five gram mushroom trip or my, you know, 200 micrograms of LSD. It was in Amsterdam. I, I lived there for <laughs> two years and I, at one point, you know, I was, I was getting ready to, to come back to the U S and I'm like, you know what? I haven't had a big edible experience. So I went to, oh, to the coffee shop. I bought a muffin and said, Oh, what, one gram of, of hash is in this muffin. So I'm like, yeah, one, one gram of hash isn't all that much. It is. And <laughs> yeah, <thousands> <laughs> <laughs> ended up going through quite literally a hell experience of like every time I would close my eyes was in this hellscape with demons. And when I would open my eyes, my world would just be spinning. I would love to hear your understanding of dosage methods of ingestion and why based on our CB1, CB2 receptors, cannabis affects different people differently. Yeah. So this is a great topic because you know, there is so much individual uh, individuality within uh, our physiology and uh, individual biochemistry in our bodies. And so the first thing I want to say is that we have an endocannabinoid system, which if anyone hasn't heard about this before, I won't go super into detail because it'd be a very long discussion, but it's essentially this system in our body. It's the largest regulatory system and the only regulatory system in the body that actually has communication back and forth, right? From the head and the body. And so with regards to the endocannabinoid system, we have CB1 receptors that are located in the central nervous system, the brain and spinal cord, and we have CB2 receptors that are primarily located within the peripheral nervous system, which is, you know, the immune cells and things like that. And so when we look at this, right, like different cannabinoids play on different receptors. And generally speaking, this isn't like a, you know, objective thing, but generally speaking, THC and the more intoxicating cannabinoids are going to attach more to your CB1 receptors. And so in the central nervous system, whereas other ones are going to connect more like CBD is going to connect more to your peripheral nervous system and your CB2 receptors. Again, it's not a all the time thing, but in most cases, that's what it looks like. And so you might be asking like, well, how do I know before I interact with cannabis? Like what cannabis works for me? Why does Sativa put me up? And, you know, my girlfriend puts it down because that's actually the scenario that I live in in my life, right? Where Rachel, you know, she can pretty much smoke any cannabis and get the same effect, which is like a very like um, uh, sedated effect. And with me, I get a very different effect depending on what I interact with, like very like 
very individual, like one sativa strain versus another sativa strain will make me feel totally different, you know? And so it's very interesting. And so what I've noticed is that I met this gentleman recently, uh, Len May, who runs this company, I believe it's Endo DNA or Endo Health. I forget offhand, but I just uh, interviewed him and went on his podcast and years about, what was it 2018? I went to this conference called the Organic Regenerative Science of Cannabis Conference amazing conference for anyone who's really nerding out on organic cannabis and like boutique high quality intention grown cannabis this is an amazing conference to go through um it has um chris trump who's the not founder but pretty much the one who made knf korean natural farming very big in the u.s uh in the world in general he learned it right from master cho who did invent it uh out in korea and then elaine ingham who's like the leading you know uh, expert in soil science um, you know, Leighton Morrison, uh, Joshua Rutherford, um, and uh, Kevin Jodry. And so Kevin Jodry, along with Stephen Raisner too, who that guy, um, I won't get into it super here, but he's big in aquaponics, which is essentially using dual root zone layers, um, which you have a terrestrial layer up top of soil. And then you have an aquatic layer on the bottom where fish are feeding your plants. And so you have this abundance of different uh, sorts of microbes and terpenes get released as, in a, as an immune response to the plant's roots. And so the more uh, microbes you have, the more immune response, the higher terpenes you get. And so if you like aquaponics and this sounds interesting, look into Stephen Raisner's work, but anyway, so Kevin Jodry was talking about, you know, he's an old NorCal grower and he's seen it all. And he was talking about how, you know, this whole indica sativa hybrid thing, even with terpenes, it doesn't really tell you a lot because unless you're, you know, everyone's individual chemistry in their body is different. And so lemony might pick some person up, might put another person down. So, you know, in most cases though, it will put, put people up uh, in most cases, but he was saying that the future of medical cannabis is being able to actually map out your individual endocannabinoid system. And then in theory, what you would do is you would get a certain number. So say, Nate, you know, I map out your endocannabinoid system and I go, Hey, strains around the number 51 are going to be great for you. And say, that's a scale of one to 100. Right. And so then you take that information and you go, okay, I'm at 51. So no matter where you go in the world, you can walk into a dispensary. And if every dispensary is operating like this, you can go, Hey, um, I'm a 50. 51. You got anything close? And they go, we got a 53. And then, you know, like, okay, cool. This strain is going to be pretty conducive to working with my endocannabinoid system. And so this guy, Len May, he doesn't exactly map out the endocannabinoid system, but he does genetic testing because there's uh, mutations that can happen within our genome, uh, such as in the AKT1 gene that can make you more prone to schizophrenia, to psychosis, to things like that. So what a valuable tool to know before you start interacting with cannabis, like, oh, if I have that mutation, I might not want to interact with the intoxicating components of cannabis like Delta 9 THC, like THCP, et cetera. I might want to go with more of a hemp type product where it's still got the full, you know, gambit of every constituent of cannabis, but the Delta 9 THC is 0.3% or under. So it will still be psychoactive, but it won't be intoxicating. And I won't be prone to the negative potential of interacting with Delta 9 THC with that mutation of psychosis and things like that. And so there's a lot of individuation within this. But what I will say is that uh, one of the common questions I get is methods of inhalation versus edible methods. And uh, one of the things here is that with methods of inhalation, such as smoking and vaping, the effect is going to be much quicker of an onset and it's going to leave a little bit quicker as well, quite a bit quicker. And with edibles, you know, there's a reason why most people that interact with cannabis have an edible story. And the reason why that is, is because a lot of people fail to understand that when you interact with cannabis in an edible form, it's getting metabolized by your liver. 
And what happens is that delta-9 THC gets converted into a totally different cannabinoid called 11-hydroxate THC, which is 10 to 50 times more powerful, depending on your chemistry, than delta-9 THC, 10 to, 10 to 50 times more intoxicating in nature. And so, you know, a lot of times I'd be at the dispensary and someone would come in, hey, I'm a daily user. Yeah, just give me a hundred milligram edible. And I'm like, hey, you know, uh, you can buy whatever you want. I'm not going to stop you from buying it. But I would like to tell you that like, if you haven't interacted with edible before, even if you're a daily user of cannabis who's inhaling it, it's not going to translate the same way. And so for instance, when I was using cannabis daily, a 25 milligram edible would be like the top of what I would be able to handle. And other people though, I find this in women a lot of the times, which I'm interested in. I haven't really looked into why, but women can typically handle a larger edible dose than men. Now, also, if your liver is quicker at metabolizing edibles, you might need a stronger dose. So Len May also tells you that information, right? Like, oh, do you metabolize, uh, you know, cannabinoids fast or slow? And that will tell you like, okay, if you metabolize them slow, you're going to need a much less strength edible uh, and, and also less THC in, in addition uh, in that edible. And so on the other hand, if you metabolize it fast, maybe that's an opportunity to go a little bit heavier. But what I always start with people is, you want to start low and slow when it comes to cannabis, because the last thing you want to do is traumatize yourself and be afraid to interact with the medicine. And so what I always say for people is, you know, if you're a very new user, I would start at a level where you almost know you're not going to feel anything because it's that initial time interacting with cannabis where you've heard all these stories. Maybe you were in dare, all these things that you're most susceptible to paranoia, to anxiety, these kind of things. And so what I would say is that starting with as low as a two and a half milligram dose, which for most people is going to be next to nothing is going to be great because the next time you go, okay, I didn't feel much from that. Let me try five. Okay. I didn't feel much from that. Let me try seven and a half. And so in the beginning, unless you do this DNA testing, it's going to be a little bit of trial and error. And so I'd always, you know, what I always say is you can always take more, but it's really hard to reverse the effects once you've already taken it. But that being said, what you can do, say, if you find yourself in a scenario like you were in where you like, shit, I didn't know what I didn't know. I'm in this experience now and I would really like this to end. There are a couple of tricks that you can do to uh, retract a lot of the THC in your system or the effects from it. So some of those are eating pure CBD isolate. Um, CBD can inhibit the effects and the intoxicating effects of THC. Um, also chewing on black peppercorns. And there's something to do there with the interaction of beta caryophylline, which is a terpene found in black pepper, also found in cannabis. Not exactly sure of the mechanism behind it, but the gentleman I learned that from was actually Willie Nelson. So Willie Nelson went through a period where he thought he'd have to stop smoking cannabis because he was experiencing paranoia. Now, the first question I would ask is, hey, what do you got living inside of you that's coming out with cannabis, right? But what he started doing was chewing on black peppercorns and that mitigated the anxiety and paranoia he was feeling. And so there are a couple of different ways in which to do this um, and to be able to get some really positive effects to, to, to take away some of the effect you're getting. But you don't want to put yourself in that situation unless you accidentally get there. And then it's like, okay, we do have some safety devices, but you know, if you go into this low and slow, the chances of you having a very challenging ordeal rather than an experience are pretty slim to none. Um, that being said, once again, I'm not a doctor, I'm not recommending anything here, but uh, if someone is listening and is curious about this, what I would say is start as low and slow as possible and slowly taper up, find the minimum effective dose for you, the, the dose that you enjoy and stick there. Because once again, there's no pissing contest when it comes to psychedelics. I think one of the biggest challenges I see is people, you know, it seems like, you know, in some communities you meet people and you're like, hi, my name's Ryan. And they're like, hi, my name's so-and-so. And I've done ayahuasca 65 times. It's like, all right, relax. Okay. Like there's no pissing contest here. You know, I, again, like psychedelics, are not necessarily a cool thing to do. And so like when you're doing these, when you're interacting with these medicines, you are, 
you know, you're disintegrating from your normal lease and reality. And so if you're not integrating, if you're not actually having the space to come back in, you can have that traumatizing experience, especially if you take too large of a dose and you go out farther than you were ready for. Because again, just like we talk about with anything in self-development, you want to go just outside of your comfort zone because that is sustainable, but you don't want to go so far out that you traumatize yourself because especially with psychedelics and luckily, unless you eat a really strong edible, the chances of this happening with cannabis are pretty slim to none. But if you eat too many mushrooms or you eat too much LSD specifically, because it's so easy to do it, you know, there's nothing saying that you can't fracture your psyche when you come back. Right. And so that is the idea of when you're disintegrating, you need integration to actually come back and have a new lease on reality. And so that's a little bit about the dosing, um, you know, as I see it. That the low, slow advice is the exact advice that I give to people who are starting off microdosing. Yeah. Um, Dr. Jim Fadiman, who did research, particularly with LSD, but microdosing psilocybin as well, um, has the anecdote of, you know, a person accidentally, you know, mistakenly measuring their LSD and diluting it to one one hundredth versus one tenth. And from one microgram of LSD still found benefit from it. Yes. And it comes back to that curiosity of like taking a look at your intention behind this and how is this shifting your consciousness in subtle ways. And something that you mentioned was really interesting is that edibles affect women differently and that they do better with them. And I'm curious your reflection on the fact that cannabis is a feminine medicine Mm. and women are able to ride that wave and, you know, move with it better than men are. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, you know, my like research on this was simply being at a dispensary and like finding so many women that are like, Hey, give me a 300 milligram edible. And they're like tiny five foot, nothing. I'm like, have you had this? So like, I get it all the time, check my history. And I'm like, Oh yeah, you definitely handle these. And my girlfriend, when our first date we went on, we went to this pretty light show up in New Hampshire. And, you know, again, like I'm a, I'm a very cheap date when it comes to edibles. So I'm used to like, you know, 25 milligrams or less. And here she is eating these Lego men that are like hundred milligrams each. And she's just gnawing on them, eating two or three at a time. And I'm like, whoa, that is a lot. And she's like, I barely feel anything from this. And I'm like, that is so interesting. And one of the things that, you know, that is my biggest passion in cannabis is cultivating cannabis. And so and that's what I'm putting together right now with the Grow With Cannabis course. But what I've realized is that, you know, it's not what, what I would say is like people that are very in touch with their feminine energy grow better cannabis. And that's what I've seen over and over and over again. Because you can imagine if you go in there very masculine, like, grow, motherfucker, like probably not going to be the best cannabis, right? Because cannabis plants are very sentient in nature. It's a living entity. And so they like very calm energy. You know, women, woman grown cannabis, I find to be so soothing and so healing. And it's not that, you know, male grown cannabis can't be that way, but men must be pretty in touch with their feminine side in order to do that. And that's a lot of what we do in Grow with Cannabis. We teach men how to become a little more feminine when they're in the grow room so they can give compassion, they can care, they can give love, they can, you know, pray to their plants, they can, you know, rub their leaves and tell them they love them, all these kind of things. And so I don't have any exact like research-backed evidence, but, you know, from my own anecdotal evidence, yeah, there's definitely a, there's definitely a connection there of some sort where, you know, when I first met my girlfriend, she was also cultivating and I would try her cannabis and be like, wow, this is so relaxing. And it really helped me be like, okay, why is mine not that relaxing all the time? And so that's when I got into a lot of feminine energy work and these kind of things. And now I feel I've been able to encompass that feminine energy, but I do feel women have a special relationship with the cannabis plant for sure. And, you know, I was actually able to uh, procure some cannabis that was grown by a bunch of um, 
uh, medicine women who were dosing the plants with ayahuasca brew. And, you know, ayahuasca is a pretty feminine ent entity as well. And so, you know, it was really interesting because it was all women growing it outside in the sun and it was grown with the brew of ayahuasca. And I'm telling you, man, this is like some of the most feminine energy I've ever felt. And I absolutely love it. So again, correlation doesn't equal causation. You know, of course, I'm my own scientist when it comes to this stuff, but I have noticed a, a, a direct link there in my own experience. And that brings up a great point that another level of awareness around the medicine that we're consuming is who grew it. Yes. And I advise people who are feeling called to, um, you know, microdose LSD, microdose psilocybin, you know, find a connection that feels aligned as opposed to just going out and shoulder tapping and buying off someone who's also selling fentanyl or heroin or plants that are distilled, but you know, come with a darker baggage, a darker energy yes. to them. I would love to hear, you've talked about it throughout, but if you could give me a breakdown on Connect With Cannabis, who it's for, the goals, the outcomes that you have seen through guiding people through this program. Yeah. So the first thing I'll say, jumping off your last point too, is, you know, in this episode, we talked a lot about quantitative measures, right? Like, you know, how to dose, uh, what cannabinoids and terpenes are. Of course, the three-step process was a little more qualitative in nature, but, you know, when we, there's this whole other side of science called qualitative nature. And, you know, this is like, for instance, what you were just talking about, like, what is the energy of the person who cultivated your plants? Because when someone cultivates cannabis, and you can read about this in shamanic culture, they always know that you're interacting with their level of consciousness. And so if someone is growing their plants in a in anxiety or depression or that kind of energetic frequency, well, that gets uploaded into the plant the same way that if meat is grown in a very traumatizing you know, environment, then that stress that's in the meat is then getting uploaded into us when we, when we interact with it. And so I won't get super deep into it, but there's a big thing there. And so just like you said, you know, really be aware of who's growing your medicine. And this also applies to when you're buying legal cannabis, because uh, in some of the cases I've seen the most traumatized cannabis, it's in these big, you know, um, you know, multi-state organization uh, dispensaries, because they're like, what's the cheapest way we can grow it? You know, it's a bunch of, you know, finance, real estate people running the company. And that kind of energy just has no place in the realm of plant medicines. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges we're seeing right now in the industry. It's just, there's so many people heading these dispensaries that have no place here. And it's, it's not that they couldn't get there, but they haven't done the work to be able to actually have a conducive environment in which to cultivate their cannabis in. And it applies to other psychedelics as well. But with regards to connect with cannabis, you know, this program is made for any health and wellness pro, seeker, coach, facilitator, guide, anyone who's looking to be of service, both to themselves and to others. And what we do in the program is we have three different module tracks that people go through. So each week you'll get access to three different modules and it's going to be the science behind what we're doing that week, the ceremony, which is the actual modality we're uh, connecting with that week, and then the facilitation modules. And so that's going to be like, if you're actually looking to do this in your life, right, with your clients or, you know, with loved ones, et cetera, we teach you how to facilitate it. And at the end, we can certify you. Now, not everyone that goes to the program wants to be certified. And there's a specific process we bring people through to ensure they're ready to be able to be certified because we're not just looking to hand out certifications. We're making sure like, hey, you understand how to be trauma-informed. You understand how to do these things. Because again, luckily with cannabis, it's it's a little bit lighter than other psychedelics, but it is still psychedelic. And so, you know, we really... Um, really take a lot of pride in making sure people are ready to do so. But essentially, you know, what we're taking you on when you go through Connect with Cannabis is a hero's journey in first being able to connect deeper to yourself. Because like the law of correspondence from Hermetic Principles says, as within, so without. 
So if you're looking for a better quality life, if you're looking for better quality relationships with the people in your life that you love, it all starts with you. And so what we do is when you join the course, we give you a list of 10 questions. And we're actually might be redoing this into like a story work format. But what we're doing is we're giving you these 10 questions that each respond or correspond to another module in the program. So question one will correspond to module one, et cetera. And so what we're doing is we're taking this intro exam of where you're at now, and then we're leading you through these 10 weeks of modules, this 12 week program in total, including the intro and outro call, but we're leading you through these modules. And then at the end, we're checking in after we've done all the work and saying, okay, cool. We know where you started quantifiably. And now where did you end up? Because a lot of times in transformative programs, they don't have that start and end point. And I think it's so great to be able to show people like, hey, celebrate your wins. Like, Look what you did in this week. Like, Look what you did in this program these three months. You were interacting with cannabis daily and you didn't like it and you knew it wasn't serving you. And you took accountability. You took ownership. And look at you now. You got this amazing relationship where you're taking three-day breaks every week. You're doing your dieta. You're practicing intention. You're doing all these things. Like, Look at what you did. Because a lot of times people want that quantifiable way of knowing like, oh, wow. Oh, I did transform in this program. And so that's a general overlay of the program. And, you know, for anyone listening who's interested, please reach out. You know, um, when we hop on calls, I always talk with you and see if we qualify or see if you qualify together for the seat in the program, because, you know, we know this program is not meant for everyone and we're not looking to bring it to the masses. But at the same time, we're looking to make sure that anyone that comes into it knows what they're getting into and is going to get their money's worth for it and is going to come out being extremely excited and, and inspired to get into this new relationship with cannabis that is a power couple dynamic in nature, you know, because that's what we bring people through from codependency to power couple. It's really fun. That sounds like a really powerful container. So if someone is interested in going through this with you and you know, I imagine Alex as well is, is a coach within it. Um, where can they reach out to you? Um, how would you like them to get a hold of you? Where can they find you? Yeah. So the best place to find me is Instagram at the real Ryan Sprague. And you can go to the link in my bio and I have a um, discovery call link there. Um, also, you can check out the business page at highly.optimize where we're giving out constant free tips and all these little pieces of advice that can help you. If you're not ready to get into the program yet, but you're curious, you can hop on there and see some new tips. And then also you can uh, join our free Facebook group called the Ceremony Circle, where every week it's actually uh, 30 minutes from now, I'm hopping on there. I'm teaching people. I have Ask Me Anything. I have Bro Talks. I have, you know, uh, Connect with Cannabis Talks. Where we're teaching people the modalities in the program. And we're really allowing people to just come out and talk and really have an opportunity to ask me whatever is on their mind, you know, get assistance, get guidance. And then also, uh, you can find me at highlyoptimized.me, uh, where we have information on Grow With Cannabis as well, which is in the beta round right now. It will be available in the next couple of months uh, for those looking to cultivate a sacred union with the plant, which is really like step two to, you know, connect with cannabis. And you can also find the podcasts on Spotify, Apple, Audible, pretty much anywhere podcasts are located. Um, highly optimized showcases conscious leaders living life beat to their own drum. And this one time on psychedelics is all about diving into true firsthand accounts of the experiences, benefits, risks, and transformations taking place within the ever-expanding world of plant medicines. And lastly, uh, and I'll give you this to put in the show notes, we just made a free uh, PDF download called the Conscious Cannabis Guide, where if you're interested in learning this three-step process and we go through it much deeper in there, and also something we didn't get into, the three ways to understand the language in which cannabis speaks in the human experience, we have that in there as well. And so anyone who's looking to get into our world, you can download that. If you have any questions, of course, hit me up about it. And uh, I'm excited to chat with anyone. That is fucking rad, dude. I will be checking those resources out. So grateful for your time 
and having this conversation. I will be seeing you in October at the Lake House yes. to, to connect with cannabis in the, the four-dimensional realm. Yes. And yeah, I'm wishing you a beautiful rest of your day, brother, and sending you so much love. Thank you, Nate. It's been an amazing opportunity. And I really appreciate you having me on. And I hope the listeners enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, man, to the gods we go. Woo. This conversation with Ryan has been over a year in the making, and I'm sure his enthusiasm touched you as much as it did me. Ryan has such an important mission in the world of cannabis. And if you vibrated with his message, go check out the Connect with Cannabis program at highlyoptimized.me. I also invite you to subscribe to the show so you can stay up to date with all that we have going on at Innate Flow. While you're there, I invite you to spend a minute telling future listeners what you've gotten out of this show. Leave a review, drop a rating, and just in case you need to hear it, you are doing amazing and you are right where you need to be. Aho, great spirit.